Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Years ago, Carol, I was asked to speak to a group of, I don't know, 800 women, and the person who had invited me to participate in this event asked me, when you look on this crowd, what do you see? And I said, hope for a generation. And then he asked me why. And I said, women shape the character and conscience of the next generation. And when push comes to shove, no political, economic, socioeconomic, nothing will get a woman, especially a mother, to compromise her deepest convictions that sustain life and liberty and love in the life of her children and her family. And you've represented all those things to me. You've modeled all those things to me. And that's been the nature and the depth and breadth of our relationship. Although we haven't enjoyed vacations together and we really haven't spent all the time we would have liked to together. We were both plowing the same field in different lots, different lots of the same field. And I'm so thankful that our listening audience is going to get to hear a little bit more about what it's like in the pilgrimage of time and the meandering roads, the ups and downs of life to restoring our identity that's often shattered by grief and loss and doing so in the context of friendships for the sake of our children, our marriages, our families, our spheres of influence. It's such a beautiful thing. And right now there's so much, Carol, confusion, chaos, and Mm -hmm. dis-ease that Mm -hmm. we're facing. Mm -hmm. For God's sake, people are trying to figure out what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman. And Jonathan Kahn says it's the dark trinity, right? He wrote an amazing book. I don't know if you read it or not. It's called Return of the Gods. And he puts philosophy, theology, history economics. He puts everything in the context of what is displacing us, causing us immeasurable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. loss. Mm -hmm. You talk about identity when a child and a mother and a father and men and women and children don't even know what sex they are. Um, you, You think about identity. Right. That's under it's attack. It's a huge, huge conversation that yeah, we're having. Exactly. Absolutely. And the grief and the mm-hmm, loss that mm-hmm. comes with that as we have this complex discussion. But in a much smaller scale, in a way that is more manageable for today, I've seen you wrestle with identity. Mm. How did you do that? Let's okay. Well, first of all, let me say that little treatise that you just heard from Virginia, that is exactly what it's like to have coffee with her. <laughs> so she sits down and she launches into something that makes your brain swirl. And again, so appreciate that about you because I think that through the years, again, women, especially older women are not supposed to speak like that. They're not supposed to have those deep thoughts. And 
you and I are women of the 60s, and, and there was a lot of unrest going on during that time that we think maybe has improved, but sometimes I wonder. Anyway, I uh, appreciate that about you. I think Thank that you. women are blessed because we can make friends in the produce department, right? We can immediately connect and maybe don't have the barriers up that perhaps men do. That's the first thing that comes to mind. But in, in my life, when I had that rapid succession of loss happen in a very short period of time, it was like the rug had been pulled out from under my life. And I had to go back theologically. I know I am someone who I don't remember a time when I didn't believe that there was a Jesus who was a personal Jesus that cared about me as a person, as an individual, as a little girl, and then a young woman, and then a more mature woman. I never doubted that. I may have had questions, but I never doubted that. But how is it that I, when that happened to me, felt like I was on a a ship being tossed to and fro without any identity? So I had to go back theologically to really what does it mean to bear the Imago Dei, the image of God? What does that mean in my life? And is that something I really believe? Or was that just something that we sing about maybe in in certain kinds of songs? Maybe you feel that more when you're raised in the church because you haven't uh, wrestled with some of these issues. But I had to go back with the scriptural understanding of the fact that in the earliest pages of Genesis, when we're told we are made in the image of God, and then he identifies himself as the I am, the boundaryless one, the uncreated one, the one that's not bound by time or space. I had to look at that and say, if I am the image of God, I am that I am. I can't tolerate the I am not, which is what my mind wanted to tell me all the time. I am not because I don't have a husband anymore. I am not because I am not loved by a man anymore. I am not because I don't have a lot of money in my bank account. I am not because I don't have the right high heels on. I am not because I'm, I don't have a lot of uh, initials behind my name. I am not, I am not, I am not, I am not. I had to go back and fight that lie and realize that I am. So that was immediately the, that was the whole thing that I had to start with. And that has to be reconciled because I always say, Carol, there's three narratives we must reconcile in time and in rest. I just beat this point. I hammer this point that there's the spirit, which is an information system that surrounds us. And it's accessible and understandable in the context of the narratives of our lives. And then there's the other sphere of influence, the other kingdom in our soul, right? Our mind, our heart, our will, our conscience, and then our flesh. And it's the conflict. It's those oh, three, total right? conflict. And it's the conflict between the spirit and the reactivities, the attachments of our central nervous system. When they clash, it's amazing. That's where that I am is undermined, but we can't even communicate without declaring what our identity is as human beings. And that's everybody, black, yellow, white, it doesn't matter. We could use the, I am a writer. I am a mom. I am a dad. We declare our identity every single day. Dozens of times, if not hundreds of times, we declare our association with this personal, intimate, with a personal, intimate hand of a creative designer, God, who knows us by name. Absolutely. And I think it's important, too, to realize that 
This wasn't like, oh, I read, uh, you know, this scripture and the next day I was healed. It was like a long process, which included lament. It included doubt. It included questions. It included crying out to God, where are you? As a matter of fact, you know, uh, all of the Psalms are the greatest characters out of the Bible saying, where are you? Why are you not here with me? Why have you abandoned me? All of those feelings, we go through that to get to the other end. And I think sometimes we feel like we're not allowed to have those things. So, I mean, I certainly, and and being a friend means sitting in all of that with that person who's grieving. Which is what we've done with each other over the years. Absolutely. Absolutely. You said all the things that identity, right? includes and our identity that we just that we stumble upon as we navigate through grief all those things are parts of rest that yes we bring ab- absolutely into absolutely see the funny thing is virginia this is why i wrote you that email this last week because everything that you're doing corporately everything that you're doing as an organization you did personally mm-hmm. it was my life yeah now god has led you to this greater platform. But your listeners, they may be thinking, well, that's good for Virginia. What can I do? And I'm saying you restore a friend's identity by sitting with them Mm -hmm. and hearing their lament, hearing their cries, hearing their broken heart. And you don't necessarily have to have great words to say. One of the most profound things someone said to me that I hardly knew, but she was sitting next to me and she looked at me and she said, well, you know what? It takes a really long time to heal a broken heart. That's not like some higher, uh, you know, deeply intellectual uh, musing. That is just truth in the simplest form that said to me, gosh, I hear what you're saying. I hear your heart is broken and it's okay because it takes a long time. And so, you know, this is the personal, you know, what you have to teach and I believe anyway, Virginia, because there's only one Virginia, right? You're led in this direction. You have those gifts. But if you can teach rest to all of these individuals, that's how we have to be with one another. Well, this week, just this week, I was confronted with my own pilgrimage through loss. And you were there with me in an intimate way. And it was all really young humans from the age of 22 I think, to 32, actually, but just in the last 24 hours, Mm, mm. three beautiful souls so displaced by a loss of identity, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. overwhelming grief and loss it's a hopes and dreams and visions, and, and it's happening at such a young age. And as you were speaking just now, I thought two hours with each of those people they literally walked out of the office transformed and i thought what just happened lord culturally you're a disruptor virginia and the internet and the pandemic both have accelerated life at you know such a, a forward fast forward pace yes it's hard for us to imagine what it's like to be that age now because it wasn't that way for us. No. Now everything is split second. Everything is comparison. Everything is, you know, a cultural lane that you're supposed to be in. But what's beautiful is 
these snippets that you're giving us of your books and how you reconciled the loss of identity and the things you had to face. It was an incredible thing in the last 24 hours mm. to face young people that very thing. in that such despair and literally walk out of my office and their entire countenance had changed. Right. They had hope. Right. See, hope, hope is only, what it's exactly. about. Only because they began to understand that their entire life is not falling apart. They're just a spirit that is working through a soul and a body. And there's three parts to this equation. And as I began to speak to the fractures in the context of a whole, it was almost like adjusting a bone that was out of joint. Mm, that's a really good analogy. It it's was, a really good analogy. It was amazing. But I was thinking while you were just speaking that you saw me in my lowest moment. You had this beautiful cottage. I want you to tell everybody about your cottage. And you invited me to come as your guest yes. at the darkest time in my life. Right, right. Um, I'll let you tell what that darkness was about, Virginia. But um, I had this crazy idea that I wasn't that great a cook, but I really liked food. And I like to cook. And I thought magic happens around a table. Whether it's, you know, takeout or frozen pizza or whether it's a really well-crafted meal, there's something really special that happens when people are eating together. And of course, you see that all the time in all the places that Jesus made reference and used food and meals to make a point. And I also learned that in grieving, around a table is really an important time. Anyway, so I had this idea that I wanted to have a cooking school ended up getting a little cottage. It was a turn-of-the-century cottage in a historic district of Southern California. And I go through a lot of this in the book. As a matter of fact, when I was writing the chapters, sometimes I go, oh, yeah, I remember that story. That was when I was making turkey chili. And so I put the turkey chili recipe at the end of the chapter just because I came to mind. It's not a cookbook, but if a recipe came to mind while I was telling a certain narrative, I would include it. So anyway, I had this idea that I was going to start this cooking school. And I did. And pretty soon there were all kinds of people coming to the cooking school. And we just had such a great time. And and I used to tell the staff, I had like eight girlfriends that I talked into working for me. And I said, look at, I really have this thought that we can uplift people. And I say, here's our, here's our motto. It's feed the soul first. The stomach will happily follow. So what we found happening is people would bring people that were grieving to this little cottage cooking school. And you think, that's really weird. You're going to take somebody to a cooking school. That's really sad. But somehow we distracted, we engaged, we fed them, we pampered them, we laughed together, we ate together around a common table. And somehow I think that lifted their spirit a little bit. And I would say I prayed simultaneously while I served the soup. And one of those days, I can't remember even how, did I invite you or somebody? You, invi- you heard about what was okay, happening I heard in about my life. Was happening. So I said, you need to come. And it was probably just a really weird thing because the last thing anybody really wants to do when you're grieving is go to a cooking school. But somehow we dragged you over there and I I hope that it gave you a lift. You told me it was going on in your life and I just couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. It was one of those clusters. It was one of those gaps in our conversations that lasted years. (laughs) But my daughter had just been diagnosed with a non-operable brain tumor. Yep. I am going to quote you in my book. Feed the soul and the stomach will follow. I forgot about my stomach. Mm. I It was so enriching 
to be in your presence because the substance of everything you are as a woman and as a friend and as a Christian and as a very strong person with deep convictions, that cottage reflected Mm. every fiber of who you are and it filled my soul well that's because the senses it was you know the thing is we forget god created beauty let's celebrate it and part of recovering from loss is getting out into it the smells the sights the touches the gravel when you walked up the gravelly path and how it sounded the slam of the wooden screen door when it hit the back uh, door when the staff would go in and out of course sarah's brogue and you know the laughter and women being together in a really good way and I thought the food was pretty darn good. I mean, I was, I considered myself the spokesmodel and Sarah was the cook, but I, I would help her and I, I can, I guess, dish out a, a dinner or two, but it was a time when we focused on the beauties of life, the colors, the sounds, the sights, the tastes, and somehow for just maybe two hours, some of that could melt away. We had people come that had really extraordinary things going on in their life. And usually I was told ahead of time. Sometimes I shared it and sometimes I didn't with the staff. Never as a whole, of course. But it wasn't usually hard to find the hurting soul in the room. And it was a joy to be able to put a little salve on their wounds. And that's what that cooking school was all about. It really wasn't like we were all that great a cook or we weren't chefs. That was amazing. We're not chefs and neither are you. That's what we had printed on our letterhead at the time. That place was a little piece of heaven. It really was. It was great. And I, I hope that the publisher will allow me to write more stories about the little cottage on at the end of the lazy lane is what I call it. Because there were some remarkable stories that happened there. As a matter of fact, I met the staff for a reunion tea just like 10 days ago. We toasted Sarah, who's now passed on. She's Her story is part of the book. Because and I have her tea books here at the villa. You have her tea books, you do. <laughs> and she lives on in all of these recipes. And we toasted her that day. And we all said, wasn't that a moment? that we got to spend together. And I said, thank you. I have no idea why I convinced you to come wash dishes for me, but you did a really good job. It's amazing. It was great. As you're speaking, I just feel compelled to repeat something you said. Recovery from loss requires, I'll just add that word. You didn't say it, but I'm going to say requires surrounding yourself with beauty. You have to do that. And that's why part of, you know, I say the book is part stories, part uh, part scripture, part solution. It's a little bit of everything. What worked for me when someone sat me down and said, well, how did you get out of this? I go, well, I don't know. Let me think about that. And I wrote this down and that's how the book came out. But part of it is you got to get outside. And again, to be a good friend, take your friend out for a walk. Get out in the beauty. Walk along the ocean. I had a friend who was really good at finding these little hidden places like the hidden lake in the middle of Newport Beach. I went, what? She goes, no, I'm going to take you there. So there's there's many things you can do that, you know, doesn't cost anything. In the midst of my grief, Carol, I didn't know who I was anymore. See, exactly. Because I remember one night when the brain tumor was confirmed, mm-hmm. I told Ray, about a few months before Jordan was actually diagnosed, I said, I think she has a brain tumor. Mm. And he said, honey, 
do something about it. Take her, get x-rays, get MRIs, get whatever, do whatever you have to. And I just looked at him and nodded my head. And it's like, no, you don't understand. It just doesn't work that way. Mm. But I remember at two in the morning Mm. feeling so much pain Mm. that I literally thought I was dying. Absolutely. die. Well, you know, the mind-body connection. Totally. And I went in the pantry because I knew I wouldn't wake anybody. And I closed the door. Wow. And Carol, I remember sliding down the frame of the door and weeping and crying out to God and say, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. I don't know what I believe anymore. See, that's the lament that you have to make space for. Oh, but it was shortly after that, that you, believe it or not, heard about Jordan and called me personally and said, you get over here right now. You're my guest. And honestly, it was painful Mm. to just. Oh, to painful to drive, to to walk, to walk and to breathe. But that respite and being surrounded you filled my soul Mm. and it lasted for months. It got me through the darkest times in my life. And during that time, as you well know, I'm not that person that does a ton of stuff like that for me anymore. I think God put the villa in my possession, mine and Ray's possession, Mm -hmm. so that I would soak up the beauty that can't be bought. Oh, absolutely. When I, you know, when I come here, Virginia, I think of that little cottage. It was totally different, but you're transported. And that's how I feel here, like transported. Now, when you just described yourself in the pantry, I don't know who hasn't, didn't feel a a pain to their heart when you just described that. I still feel it. Oh my gosh. I say on this one little part, I say, you know, for those that grieve in Zion, for those, you know, that's taking that verse, um, for those who grieve in my, or in your closet, I used to say I'd, I would rub my hands on the cream colored carpet in my closet, looking for a pit of sooty ashes that I could put on my head. And, you know, because I pantries and closets, big places of grieving. So I, I get it. But, you know, you hear a story like you just heard from Virginia and you think to yourself, my friend's daughter has a brain tumor. What am I going to do? You can't fix it, but you can come alongside of her and say, let's go for a walk. Let's have uh, some tea. Let's tell a story. Let me read to you. Why don't you just sit here? We'll be quiet. And it's not about creating safe spaces. It's about being a safe mm. space. It's like what Absolutely. you said. It's, it's, it's not in a, a location. Right. There's all this talk about safe spaces, but it's in your soul. Can you listen? Can you sit with the grief? Can you sit with the pain? Can you yell at God? Can you curse at God? Can you say, where are you? How did this happen? How have I reconciled my life, my work? How am I working? How have I poured my heart and soul into everything that I think you value and you sustain according to the counsel of your own will? And how is it that the more and more tangible you become to me, And the more I can access words to communicate what's sacred about our common humanity. And how does this happen? Mm. I never asked why. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to process the grief. Well, I don't know that we're equipped to do that right away. I mean, let me just tell you, there's, there's the trauma. You you did, you did just your friendship. You try, do something, you know, it's like, 
you don't have on the scale of difficulty. That's like one of the worst things that can happen, what you went Mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to say that's the same as, uh, you know, how maybe you were bullied in the fifth grade. That's hard. But there's certainly a hierarchy of loss. That's one of the toughest ones. Well, you were hit with a wave of them. Well, you were hit with a wave of them. I remember, Carol, and and I, I know our listening audience, there's people listening to us right now that are thinking for the last 15, 20 years, I can't even come up for air. Right. And I just want to encourage you and encourage those of you who are listening and know people in this state of grief, love. Mm presence yep yep all of silence all of that a meal a cup of tea Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the simplest things are priceless in helping each other heal absolutely absolutely so my goal is like i say if there's one person out there that maybe can glean something from the losses that i've experienced and and come through the other side then so be it or if you have a friend that maybe's going through something or you just have no idea how to, how to help someone hopefully this this book will help and we certainly have enough encounters and life experience virginia that we just have a few more stories to tell yes we do and i look forward to telling them because i know that our pilgrimage both in friendship and in pain and what did we say in the fires floods and failures of life mm-hmm. there are beautiful stories to tell and that's what i think our nation needs to heal the hemorrhaging heart of a generation and all of a sudden no matter how dark thing things seem there is just this mysterious divine healing that emerges when we can just show up mm-hmm. and it has and just show up and surrender outcomes just show up well, and that's the beauty of the friendship that we've had for so many years. And again, it's not like it's we're playing bridge together every Wednesday. But <laughs> but I certainly know that this sister is here and can walk through dark times, through rocky roads and what was waters. The, what was the greatest, what was the fruit of putting all this on paper? Besides an amazing woman that you raised that saw the substance of mm-hmm. her mother mm-hmm. and it needed to have an expression for other right. women and generations right. to come. But what was the, your personal, what was the most rewarding well, thing about writing that book? Right. Interesting. Like somebody would say, well, was it therapeutic? And you know, I had had so much therapy and I'd read so much and I'd done so much writing and so much work that it wasn't that I needed to process any more grief at that point. It was just putting it on paper, like you say. But the interesting thing that happened is during the editing process, because it's a long one, I mean, the competition happened and then takes like a year and a half, really, to two years to get the book on the shelf. This one releases September 19th, and it will be almost two years since I won that competition. And it can be re- pre-ordered. But it by can the be way. pre-ordered. Yeah. It's on Amazon right now. And the Audible will be available too, September 19th. But anyway, so I was doing the editing process and it was during this time that I think I told you in that email, Virginia, I had a flood in my house. I was roaming around for four months, kind of like with my backpack and blanket in the car going to different places. And I crashed my car and there was a sudden unexpected loss of income. And all of a sudden I had this heart thing resurface again. 
and I was doing the editing process. So you asked about the fruit. So the fruit, I hope, will show itself in the people that I hear from that say that helped. But for me, it was this great theological irony that during the time I'm editing and re-rating the things that I wrote, like, oh, good comes from hard and character develops from perseverance and all of that. I was going through a whole new set of similar things, but I didn't feel hopeless. I felt still hopeful. I felt sad and I felt sorrow that this was happening. But I thought, now there's the fruit in my own life that I actually do believe the things that I that I wrote. And so that was a wonderful serendipity in a real ironic way. So for me, the fruit was, wow, okay, that did work. I can, I'm safe to tell people that it will bear fruit in their own life because I see it now in my own life again. Mm. Beautiful words to close with. Well, I love you, friend. It's been fun. It's been fun. And I'm, I'm looking at all these books around me. If you could only see Virginia's library wanting to dive in. Friendships, relationships forged with many of them are dead, but not in my mind and not in my heart. And the fruit of their work has left such an imprint in my life and in my work. And as will your book, Carol. I'm Thank certain you. of Thank it. You I look so forward much, to having Virginia. you back. Thank you, Virginia, so very much. Loved it very much. Thank you. If you'd like to get in touch with Carol, you can connect with her through her website, carolholiday.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-E holiday.com. Keep an eye out for her book. I don't know who I am anymore. Restoring your identity shattered by grief and loss as it will be officially released on September 19th of this year. Feel free to go to Amazon to read the summary and pre-order for updates about rest and this podcast. Please visit our Instagram or Facebook, the place of rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. <laughs>